Wow, isn't it wonderful to be in God's presence and just worship Him? It really is. And it's wonderful to know, again, that we serve and that we worship a living God. A living God. And uh, we're not just singing into the air, but He's here amongst us. The atmosphere that you feel, that sense of His presence. The Lord is here. He inhabits. Psalm 22, 3 says, The Lord inhabits the praises of His people. He is here amongst us. We've had, we've had times around the world in, in various meetings. I've been doing this for 32 years now in about 52 countries since Jesus first called me to preach the gospel. And uh, many of you know this, but if you are new here, just to say, you know, I gave my life to Jesus at a very young age. Uh, and the Lord came into my heart. I was just a four-year-old boy when I gave my life to the Lord. My dad said to me in later years, it took a long time for salvation to manifest, but despite that fact... I knew that Jesus Christ came into my life and, um, you know, I, I could just stand here today. I'm now 51 years old and um, I've seen the Lord do amazing things around the world. And one of, the, one of those things has been that sometimes in some of our meetings around the world, God's glory and presence has come so strong. Sometimes you've just, we've just seen it literally like a, a cloud, just a, a physical cloud that people see it's come rolling in. Over thousands of people and miraculous healings have taken place. Uh, we've had sometimes where Jesus has literally appeared to people in the middle of the meetings. Um, in Rwanda, I had Jesus literally appeared to a blind woman. And she was blind in both her eyes, brought by friends to the meeting. And as we were praying over the crowd, Jesus literally appeared to her. I mean, she just came, well, she came giving her testimony. Her face, she's a very dark African, but actually it was like someone had put one of these lights on inside of her head. There was just bright light shining from her face. The Bible records times like that. Remember, Moses came down the mountain and his face was physically shining. Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration. His, even his clothes were shining with the glory of God. And so, uh, and, and in the Rwandan revival, many who just sought the Lord and just worshipped him for hours, they would come out of their prayer closet and they would be brilliantly shining. It's well recorded. And I've known people like it, seen some of that myself. I used to call them the shining ones because of that light of God's glory and presence. I do find as people go on in life, if they keep saying no to God and they're hardening their hearts, there's a certain darkness that comes about them, sometimes even in their faces. But people really go on with Jesus and on fire for the Lord. It's like their faces just become radiant with his light. It's their eyes clear and it's his love, his life. And so uh, he's here. That dear, that dear woman in, in Rwanda, when she saw the Lord, uh, she felt like a sensation of heat went through her blind eyes were opened and she could see again. In fact, where's Lorna? Is Lorna here today? Can't see Lorna here today. Okay, Lorna is, is here, so works with the church. But actually, Lorna has suffered for a good many years with as she lost her periphery vision uh, through an accident a number of years ago. And actually, on the very first night here, Jesus touched her and healed her, and, and all her sight was instantly restored. And that's, uh, that's wonderful. So we just... We heard some screams from the back of the hall of, and, and joy. I thought, my, what's going on over there? And the next thing we knew what was going on, and it was just fabulous. So God is so good. Now, look, what we're going to do today, it's a little bit different. Uh, I normally get up and preach a message, and then we, 
uh, we pray for folks and whatever. But actually today, what we've decided to do is um, for some of you particularly who are here for the first time, or maybe some of you who've not been along this week, um, I brought uh, some of our guys along with me. We've got three of our evangelists here. And, uh, and so I've decided that what we'll do, we're going to do something a little bit different. And each of them, for about 10 minutes, is going to share something with you. And so what, what their, uh, their brief is this. Uh, each of them has got to share for about two, three minutes something that Jesus has given them, particularly for the church here. Something that the Holy Spirit has revealed to them for you. So they're going to do that, and then they've got to share their testimony, their story of how Jesus changed their life. No one is born a Christian. Can I just say that right now? Let's be clear about that. You might be British. I'm terribly sorry to, <laughs> to upset the apple cart, but you're not a Christian because you're British. <laughs> And you're not a Christian because you had a vicar sprinkle water on you. That's not even in the Bible. Okay? So no one's a Christian because you were confirmed or had water put on you. It doesn't make you a Christian at all. So look, not being critical of anybody doing that. You just won't find it in the Bible. That's all. So even the fact that you go to church doesn't make you a Christian. The old ones, they say, and go to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian, you know. So you have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You'll know him personally. So these guys are going to tell a story of how Jesus has changed their lives. And so I'll introduce each one as they come. And then I'm just going to come up in the last few minutes and just share the reason why Jesus has changed their lives and how all of us can have our lives changed by the amazing goodness and grace of God. Shall we just give a warm welcome to Wayne? Morning. It's wonderful to be here. We've had a tremendous week with you so far. I just want to, I just want to say I've been blessed being here, and I hope that we, we have been a blessing to you. As I was praying before I arrived here, I believe that God gave me a picture for the, oh, a vision for this church, right? And the vision was that the presence of God, the desire for holiness, was coming into this building. I've never seen this building. I have never seen it before I came here, but I saw this place. And the presence of God was, was in this place as people was desiring holiness and, and laying themselves down sacrificially and following who he is. And as this was happening, as this was happening, there was like wolves fleeing. Amen. Fleeing, fleeing, just coming, flying out of, of around the area. And we've heard so many times this week, I've preached out of Luke 10, John's preached out of Luke 10, Justin's preached out of Luke 10. I am sending you out as lambs amongst wolves. And as we desire more holiness, more of the presence of God, I know that the presence of the shepherd is here with us. And as the shepherd is stamping his rod of authority over Shirley. These wolves are being driven out. These, when you, and the other thing that Ben touched on earlier this week, and it was a scripture that had been really in my heart since we arrived here, was Isaiah 54, which says, Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtains of your dwelling. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. You shall expand to the right and to the left. I don't know how, but believe me, in the spirit is possible. <laughs> your descendants will inherit nations and make desolate cities inhabited. Do not fear. You will not be ashamed. 
You will not be ashamed. And as it's talking about the expansion, I believe that's an expansion of the influence that God is going to give you amongst the area, amongst the authorities in the area. That God is opening doors that nobody can close. Walk through them and receive the blessing of the Lord. Please, I submit that to you for your testing. <laughs> I just want to share a little bit about my story with you, and I've got about six minutes now. <laughs> I was born in Rochdale. Rochdale is a small place. Well, Manchester is a small place near Rochdale, right? <laughs> and I remember when we grew up, we went on holiday. We came back from holiday. We had a note taped to our front door, which informed us that we no longer lived in our house anymore. We'd been evicted whilst we was on holiday. It happens. It happens a lot. Um, and like I said, we had to find somewhere to live at that point. At that point, my mum and my dad, they went to my parents. Well, they're my grandparents. My sister, she was farmed out to some friends, and I was farmed out to some other friends somewhere else around the town. Um, there are children here, so we'll keep this decent. I, I'm not... When I was there, they had an older son. And I was forced to do things that no 13-year-old boy should ever ever be forced to do. And believe me, at that, at that age, it was, at any age, it's wrong, you know, but at that age in my life, it really did sort of like just turn the lights off. I had no hope. I felt filthy on the inside. I felt disgusted with myself. I couldn't discuss it with anybody. I didn't want to discuss it with anybody. Everybody that tried to get near with me got pushed away. In school then, I started to sort of like, you know, just fall off a cliff. I stopped being interested in what was going on in the lessons and started being interested in what was going on in the toilets, where people were smoking drugs, people were missing lessons, people were just sort of like doing whatever they wanted to do, and I fell in that way. I started to smoke cannabis, I started to miss school, I completely fell through the cracks, and at 15, 16 years old, I was out sort of like partying, warehouse parties, started to take acid tablets, LSD, started to take amphetamines, started to take ecstasy, started to take cocaine. And my life literally ended up just like going down fast. I had a girlfriend at school, this girlfriend dumped me. And when we'd finished school one day, I saw this girl walking past and you know something? I said, you know something? I said, you're still a good looking girl. I'm still a good looking lad. Let's get together and have some good looking kids. And she just looked at me and went, no. I asked her every day. I found out where she lived and I went to her house every single day for three months and knocked on her door and asked her if she wanted to go out with me. Have you ever heard that the... The definition of, of, of insanity is doing the same thing the same way and expecting a different outcome. That's exactly the page that I was on. I was sort of like knocking on her door. Do you want to go out with me? No, I'll see you tomorrow. Do you want to go out with me? No, I'll see you tomorrow. I knocked on her door one day. I said, do you want to go out with me? She went, no. And I said, I'll see you tomorrow. She went, but you can come out with me. Deal, I'm on. I mean, I was fully sold. She didn't tell me that she was taking me to a night where somebody was going to be preaching the gospel. She told me she was taking me to somebody who was a comedian. <laughs> anyway, he started telling jokes and then he swapped it for the gospel. I was massively uncomfortable. I had to get out of there as quick as possible. And as soon as he'd finished his business, I went like that. 
Got, got up, literally ran out of the place. As I was going out, they gave me Luke's gospel. I took it and ran. I was, got back to my flat. I was absolutely livid. I'd been hoodwinked. I'd been drawn in and I'd been lied to yet again. Yet again, I'd been lied to by people I thought was beginning to care for me. I had a voice in my head that just said, read the book. Read this book. I don't want to read the book. I tried everything that night to not read the book. But as I read the book, I got to chapter 23. And it was talking about, about Jesus on the cross, the thieves either side. My father was a violent man. He beat me with an inch of my life when I was a child. I promised myself I was never, ever going to cry again. I got to a point in this, as I was reading, thinking, Jesus, why would you do that? Why would you do that for somebody like me? And I let it all out. All the, all the shame, all the pain, everything that was inside of me just literally flooded. My head started to leak as tears fell down my face. As I started to turn around, I said, God, if you're real, and I hope you are, I need you to change my life. I said, if you will change me today, I will give you every single day from this point forward. At that point, there was a rainbow appeared in the corner of my bedroom. It grew and it got huge and it got massive and I did what any self-respecting ex-drug dealer would have done. I snorted it. It came right up my nose, into my lungs and I could feel just waves of love bursting out from inside of me. I felt cleansed at a microscopic level on the inside. I felt every, every wrong action that had been done to me being forgiven, being washed out of me. I felt every poison that I put into my life and into my body being flushed out of me. I was clean, I was brand new, I was loved and I had a purpose. And if Jesus Christ can do that for me, he could do the same for you today. Thank you. Hallelujah. Well, Wayne talked about the shepherd. Well, I'm the son of the good shepherd. My name is Paul Joseph Shepherdson. At 4.35 this morning, the Holy Spirit woke me up and he impressed on my heart Acts chapter 2. And it says from verse 1, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly, and suddenly, there came a sound. There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me today to tell you that there is a new sound. A new sound that is coming from your life, from this church. And it is the sound of the wind of the spirits. It's a sound of the wind of the spirits. A sound of the miraculous. A sound of miracles. A sound of the impossible. And I just want to prophesy and declare that over you. Also, he said that the, the wind is blowing all over you, all over your family, 
Everywhere you go, the wind of the Spirit is blowing. And it's going to blow from here all over Soliol. All over Soliol. I declare it in Jesus' name. Well, I want to share a little bit with you. As I said, my name is Paul Joseph Shepherdson. Um, some people call me Holy Joe from Middlesbrough. Uh, it wasn't always like that. Um, I come from Middlesbrough. Uh, at the age of 10, around eight years of age, I saw my father hit my mother with a red hot poker out of the fire. And I became, you know, I became very angry. So when I was at school, a 10-year-old, a bigger lad, tried to kick my leg in football. He was like, he was known as the best fighter in the school. And I ended up beating him up. And I ended up where, you know, I used to start to like fighting. Um, when I was 11 years of age, this which was, which was in 1976, England beat Scotland. If there's any Scottish people here, I do say, forgive me. But uh, where I lived, there was a Scottish man and uh, I used to argue and fight with him all the time. Anyway, one day after England beat Scotland in 1976, he actually had me up with a spade. I ended up fighting with him and he ended up spray painting all over his house door and all over the flat. And I was arrested and taken to court. Uh, I started to smoke cannabis um, in my house with my father. My father was a drunkard. My father was a gambler. Uh, he used to, he used to always say you know, bad things about me. He never used to say good things about me. Uh, when I was you know, 14 years of age, I was really addicted to cannabis. I used to smoke cannabis, all of that. I used to work, you know, you know, I used to actually deliver milk on a milk round before I went to school. Uh, and, um, you know, one day when the milkman came to wake me up, I was arguing with my father. And, um, you know, my father was stood at the top of the stairs and I was at the bottom. And there was like a cold he sat here. And when I was arguing, he threw this record. He threw this record player down the stairs. And I moved out the way. This is five o'clock in the morning. It went out the front door, out the window. Smashed all the window. So I became very fearful, very angry. You know, I used to fight at school. Um, I used to fight with even the teachers. One time the teacher, the deputy headmaster, he tried to cane me. I took the cane off him and uh, I hit him with it. I was thrown out of school. Um, and, you know, by the time I was 16, I was, and I was, in, I was taking amphetamine. I was going to all... Or, you know, all night discos, Northern Soul. I also became a football hooligan. Yes, my team is Middlesbrough. And uh, we used to travel all over the countries. And, uh, you know, I started to be involved in amphetamine. I also was a shoplifter. I was a professional thief. You know, I used to go into shops sometimes. They didn't even know I was in the shop. I'd go in the window and I'd pick tellies up. Anything that wasn't down and I'd walk out with it. One time I was in Sunderland in bins and you know, uh, you know, Vaxovers. Well, I picked one of them up and I was on my way to the car and uh, I looked around and I knew there were two CID behind me playing clothes. And I, I said, do you want something? Boop, and I threw it at them and I was away. You know, uh, so I've been, to, I've been to prison many times. 
you know. Um, but my shoplifting and my thieving, and, and you know, it was all really for my. By this time, I was also drinking. I used to go to nightclubs. When I was 18 years of age, you know, when I lived at home, you know, my father told my mother, if you don't get him out of the house, I will kill him. So I left home, and um, from the age of 18 to 35 is where I took all kinds of drugs. I've been to prison for police, of, you know, assaulting police. I did not like the police. I was very rebellious. And... Um, I became a ticket out, you know, around 1996 where I started to travel the world, you know, selling tickets. And I had a lot of money. But at this time, I was addicted to cocaine. I was addicted to crack. I was addicted to heroin. And I had two children by this time, but I didn't know how to love their mom. I didn't know how to love them. I didn't know what love was. And basically, I ended up in a psychiatric hospital. When I was in the psychiatric hospital, hospital, a woman came up to me. And I've got to be tell you the truth. I thought she fancied me because I'm not a bad looking lad. You know that? But she said these words to me. She said, Jesus can set you free. Now, the only ever time I'd been to church, not one person in my family from any generation that I know I saved, a born again. The only other time I went, you know, to the chapel was when I was in prison. But these words penetrate. I was sectioned at the time. And um, what happened? She asked if she could take me to the chaplain, if the chaplain could pray for me. The chaplain prayed for, for me. The next day, I was discharged. That's 19 years ago. And I've never been back since. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Then I went into Teen Challenge and, um, you know, in 2006 is where I moved out to Kenya. I got married in Kenya, you know, and uh, I have three beautiful children. And there's a scripture that says, in Habakkuk 1 verse 5, it says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your day that you would not believe even if you, if you were told. I want to just end with that we serve a miracle-working God. Amen. And I want to tell you today also, as I was just in the presence of God, that I really felt the Father's heart. And the Lord wants to also heal people here today from rejection, you know, from broken hearts. So I want to say thank you very much. God bless you. Well, good morning. My name's Justin. Uh, I'm a, a team evangelist here with Mission 24. And it's just been such a privilege to be with you this week and to be getting alongside some of you and uh, just been, uh, being able to walk with some of you out on the streets and share Jesus with people. Uh, that's been a great privilege to see people giving their lives to Christ there out in the street and the Lord touching people's lives. So look, um, as I was praying for you, and the Lord showed me a, a vision, a picture, and I saw, I saw the building and I saw the surrounding area here. And it, initially it looked, uh, it looked, it was in black and white. 
Uh, and it looked uh, as if there were quite a lot of weeds around, uh, as if it was um, a little bit run down. And then suddenly there was this change that took place and it went from being black and white into color. And as it went from black and white into color, life started to spring up all around, all around, not just plant life, but also people. And it went from a place where there were just a few people to a place where there were lots and lots of people. It was just full of activity all around. So not just in this building, but all around here in the park, in the surrounding areas, on the street here, all the way in the surrounding area. And the Lord uh, pointed me to a passage uh, just in Matthew's Gospel. And I'm actually going to read this morning from the Young's Living Translation. So forgive me if it sounds a little bit oldie-worldy, but there's a reason for it, because there's a particular phrase that's, that's translated here in this literal way that I, that I believe is for you as a group and for the area here. So this is Matthew 13, and it's starting at verse 10. It says, As the disciples, having come near, said to him, Wherefore... In parables dost thou speak to them. In other words, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answering said to them, To you it hath been given to know the secrets of the reign of the heavens. That's the phrase. The secret of the reign of the heavens. And to these... It hath not been given, in other words, to those who are outside of the kingdom. For whoever hath, it shall be given to him, and he shall have over abundance. And whoever hath not, even that which he hath, shall be taken from him. And what I believe the Lord would say to you is this, is that As a result of what you've received during this week, there is an impartation that's taken place to do with the reign of heaven and how heaven, the plan of God to bring heaven to earth through the power of the gospel, which is God's power to save, and through the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit, that same power that Joe was speaking to you out of Acts 2. Power to save, power to heal, and power to deliver. And in these days, says the Lord, there is going to be an outpouring of his spirit, and you will witness great salvation, great healing, and great deliverance. And it will come to you and to your community. Amen? Amen. So, um, Like these guys, I was not brought up in a Christian family. Um, In fact, uh, if he'd been open and honest, I think my father would have had to have confessed he was an atheist. I'm the youngest of four children born into my parents and my family. uh, And by the time I was born, they had experienced tremendous tragedy and were really facing a great deal of challenge. So their firstborn son, John, died when he was 16 months old. He effectively choked to death. 
the, the grief and the pain that that caused my parents was so deep that my father, very, just before he died, told me that it took him more than two years before he can even say his name. Their next child, the eldest surviving sibling, my brother Ian, is Down syndrome and severely handicapped and requires 24-7 care. And so I was born there. My sister, my lovely sister was born next, and then I was the youngest. So the family that I was born into was not only had suffered and was struggling with the grief and the pain of that loss, but also just facing tremendous challenge in, uh, in raising and caring for a severely handicapped son. Being a typical boy, I did all sorts of things that were wrong. Uh, you know, I, I, I used to um, just do all sorts of things that were wrong. From time to time, you know, instead of the normal kind of telling off like a good father would do, from time to time, an incredibly intense anger would erupt from him. And he would shout so loudly that it, ca- it physically caused me pain inside. It was like, it was like he was throwing spears at me and it, it caused deep pain in my heart and, I, and therefore as I grew up even though he loved me they both loved me tremendously even though they loved me I grew up with this insecurity could I really trust him what kind of reaction was I going to get kind of grew up in fear of this anger As I grew up, even as a small child, I was aware that there was like this dark presence and heaviness in the house. I couldn't have articulated it, but I was just aware of it. As a child, you know, children are very sensitive to spiritual atmosphere. And I certainly detected this heavy presence in the house. Fast forwarding, um, I, I started to do all sorts of things that I shouldn't do. I started to steal. Initially, I started to steal money from my mother's purse, and that led ultimately to becoming a shoplifter. I used to, used to shoplift. Um, I used to tell lies. I became an habitual liar. Um, I, I, and I couldn't stop it. I wanted to, but I just couldn't stop doing it. And I just kept doing things that were wrong. I started smoking. Um, a, a few years after that, I started drinking. And then at age 16, I was able to move away from home. Actually, it's worth pointing out in the middle of all this that bizarrely, even though my parents didn't have a faith in God, because I was reasonably musical, they sent me to be in the church choir. So there I was on a Sunday, you know, dressed in my dress with my, you know, frilly rough round, singing, singing about God, praying to God, doing all those things. Never once did I hear that God loved me and that I could know the forgiveness for my sin because of what Jesus said. Not once. I didn't hear that message. Anyway, at 16, I was able to move away from home. I did my A-levels um, about 45 minutes from, uh, from where my parents lived uh, at an arts college. And I got into all sorts of scrapes and did all sorts of sinning, none of which I'm proud of in that first year away from home. But in the second year, my best mate, we, we palled up in that first year. We were in a shared house together. And he had heard about a local church in the town down in Totnes in Devon where all sorts of things were going on. 
And uh, he decided one Sunday he would go with his girlfriend. And so I, mean, I gave him a really hard time. I was really mocking, you know. And uh, we'd had lots of conversations, and I would just, you know, pull all of it apart as far as, I can, uh, as far as I was concerned. He went to church. He came back, and he started to tell things to me that I just didn't make any sense to me. For example, he said, when the people are singing songs to God, it's like there's a presence that comes in the meeting that's really powerful and very loving. He said that when the people are praying, it's as if they're talking to someone that they know. And he started to tell me that people have been prayed for in the name of Jesus and people were starting to be healed. It sounded nonsense to me, but eventually I decided, well, I can either just ignore it or go and find out for myself. And so I decided that I would go and check it out. I would go along and find out. A long story short, the guy that led the church invited me to come to, he says, why don't you come and have a cup of tea and a piece of cake? Be great to get to know you. So I thought, right, I will take him up on this offer. And actually, if I'm honest, uh, I went with the intention of trying to persuade him that what he was believing was really a lot of nonsense. So, tipped up, had tea and cake, uh, and had a, good, a really good chat with him. And I, I started to really talk, we got into this conversation, starting to talk about the things that I'd been brought up to believe. My father was a scientist. I'd been brought up on Darwinian evolution. As I'm talking this stuff and saying this stuff, I'm thinking, do I really believe this? Do I really believe that we've come from monkeys and apes? Anyway, I get to the end of, you know, kind of my bit. And Stan, bless him, he looked at me and he said, Justin, it's really interesting. I've had so many people say that they believe very similar things. But can I take two minutes to tell you what I know to be the truth? And he looked me straight in the eye and he said this. He said, Justin, this is the truth. God really loves you. He really does, and he knows everything about you. He says, the problem is at the moment, like everyone born into the world, you're separated from him because of sin. And he says, God loves you so much that he didn't allow us, he didn't, he didn't allow that sin to carry on being a problem forever. He came on a rescue mission to deal with sin. And he says, that's why Jesus came. He, God came in person, in his son. And he died for our sins on the cross. And on the third day, when he was raised from the dead, that was the proof that all of our sin has been paid for. And he said, look, if you believe this, you can start a brand new life. And he gave me a tract. He gave me a New Testament. Two nights later, February 1984, two in the morning, I'm having yet another long conversation with my friend Tom. And he's re- he started to read the Bible. And he, he was reading a passage. We were having a conversation about the nature of love. And he was reading this passage out of 1 John chapter 4. And he got to verse 8. I don't remember the first part, but I do remember this. He, he read these words. It says, God is love. And as he read that out, I was filled, filled with wave after wave after wave of this powerful love. I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. So I did both. You know, one minute I was just weeping, tears streaming down my face as I felt all sorts of good things happening on the inside. And then I was laughing with this just kind of like an uncontrollable laughter, just great joy 
And it went on for the rest of my life. Sorry, the rest of the night. Well, it kind of has gone on the rest of my life, but it certainly went on the rest of the night. It was just wave after wave. And listen, I knew in an instant, I knew that I was forgiven for my sin. I knew it in here. And I knew that this was God. And the wonderful thing is this, this, what God did for me, he will do for anyone. He'll do it for you. Amen. Amen. I'm going to hand over now. Shall we give John a big round of applause? Welcome as he comes to give, share the word with us this morning. Bless you. Thank you. By all means, just do that. Can I just pray before I wrap things up this morning? Let's just pray together. Father, we thank you for the amazing testimonies we've heard of your grace in these guys' lives. And we know, Lord, that all around the world, hundreds of thousands of people every day are coming to know you and experiencing the life-changing grace and love of God that is saving them, forgiving their sins, setting them free from the things that bind them, and giving them a certain hope for their future. Father, we pray that here this morning, amongst every one of us, that not one of us will leave this place today without the joy of knowing your forgiveness and the certainty of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to wrap up today by just simply bringing clarity to all of us about the real reason why these guys' lives have been changed, why my life has been changed, why, why so many people's lives in this room have been changed by the grace of God. For those of you who don't yet know Jesus, I want to recommend him to you. And, uh, and, that you, and my prayer for you is that you would open your heart up to him and, uh, and receive him as Lord and Savior. I guarantee this, that if you do, if you believe it, he will come into your heart and he will change your life for time and eternity. I want to uh, begin really by reading the testimony of a person who uh, everybody in this room more than likely will know. Um, how many have heard of the Nobel Peace Prizes? Most of us have heard of that, I guess. Okay, so this is the story of the founder of it. You may or may not be aware of this, but this is not a Christian testimony, but it's quite impactful as we take stock of our lives for a few moments. Alfred Nobel, who lived from 1833 to 1896, is best known for the Nobel Peace Prize. Less well known is the fact that Alfred Nobel also invented dynamite. As well as a chemist, an engineer, and an innovator, and a weapon, he was a weapons manufacturer. In 1888, Alfred's brother, Ludwig, died. And a French newspaper erroneously published Alfred's obituary. It condemned him for his invention of dynamite, stating, The merchant of death is dead. Dr. Alfred Nobel, who became rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever before, died yesterday. Alfred Nobel was devastated by the foretaste of how he would be remembered. His last will and testament set aside the bulk of his estate to establish the Nobel Prizes. He gave the equivalent of 250 million US dollars to fund such, such prizes. Alfred Nobel had the rare opportunity to evaluate his life near its end and live long enough to change that assessment. Have you ever wondered what difference your life might make. 
How can your life bring blessing to other people? How can you change the world for the better? How can your life be of ultimate lasting value? Jesus said, if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul, what profit is that to you? I come from a family of wealthy businessmen. I saw my uncle go the way of the world. It's been through multiple relationships, multimillionaire. He's lost quite a bit of it through all of his relationships. Kids don't want to know him, all the rest of it. Fun, just for fun, buys Ferraris and all the rest of it. But he's empty as anything. My dad, however, was also a very wealthy businessman, but gave his life to Christ, and his life was radically changed. It's the impact of my grandfather on my dad's life. So his dad, who was a regimental sergeant major, not a Christian man, and actually thought that Christianity was for weak men. And so, uh, but he came to Christ because a friend of his from the military, from the SAS, who then couldn't get blood out of his system and became a mercenary, was led to Christ by a British missionary who he hated the guts of. And every day when he would meet him, you know, this guy would say to my grandfather's friend, you know, I hate you. And if you tell me one more time that Jesus loves me and you love me, he says, I will kill you and I will put your body in so many places that they won't ever be able to find you. And he said, it's all right, I'm dead already. He said, Jesus loves you and I love you. <laughs> anyway, it made such an impact. My, great, my grandfather eventually gave his life to Christ. And when he gave his life to Christ, it wasn't long till my dad gave his life to Christ. And then we came to Christ as a family and our lives have been wonderfully changed. But I want to ask you today, if you gain the whole world, you have a wonderful family, you have lots of money, great holidays, and everything that the world can give you, but you lose your own soul, what will it profit you? I think it's Rick Warren who wrote the amazing book, The Purpose Driven Life. I'd highly recommend it to you. You can get it on Amazon. But he comes to the last few pages of the book and he says this. As the pastor of one of the largest churches in America, 29,000 people, he says, I've been at the bedside of some of America's most famous people in their last moments. Great entrepreneurs, great sports heroes, successful business leaders. And in their last moments, no one, no one has ever asked me, please, can you go and check my stocks and shares? Check my bank account. Please, can you check my popularity ratings, my Facebook likes? <laughs> no. They all ask for their family, but even once the family is gone, he says the number one question every single one asks is, Pastor, what's going to happen to me? Where am I going? Is everything going to be all right? Somehow it says that at those last minutes of our lives, the reality of eternity suddenly brings everything sharply into focus. What is your life really all about? And somehow there's a knowing in the heart. There is more to life than just the nine to five grind of work and everything else. The Bible says God has placed eternity in the hearts of men. Billy Graham, the great evangelist well-known around the world, died at two years ago, 
just last year, at the beginning of last year, he was interviewed on TV just before he went to be with Jesus. He was nearly 100 years old. The interviewer asked him a very interesting question. He said to him, Dr. Graham, four times you have been on the front cover of Times Magazine as the world's most admired man. You have been the friend of multiple presidents of the United States. You have been known around the world and spoken to more people face to face than any other man who has ever lived. You've been known as America's pastor. He says, you've been a highly successful man. He says, I want to ask you, what has been your life's greatest surprise over a hundred years nearly of life? It's an unusual question to ask, don't you think? Life's greatest surprise. And he turned and with his usual perceptive comments, he turned and said, my greatest surprise of life has been its brevity. It's brevity. How fast it goes by. I see the folks here enjoying a little kid down on the side in the middle of you. I see others who just they enjoy their clothes, they enjoy their life, they enjoy, but it's all going to go one day. It will all be gone. One day we'll all stand alone before God. You won't stand with your family. You won't stand with your wife, with your children, with your husband. You won't be able to appeal to your good choices in life. Because the Bible says even our good works are like filthy rags before our holy God. That's the biggest offense of the gospel to some people. I've led, I've led people to the Lord as diverse as multimillionaires and guys who are top medical people. I've led government people to the Lord. On the other side, I've led Islamic terrorists to Christ and I've led mafia men to Jesus and prostitutes and drug dealers. Actually, can I say, the reality is one thing I've discovered through 32 years of ministry around the world is this. The needs of humanity, no matter what you've done or who you are, how much money you have or how little you have, how well educated you are or how not educated you are, the needs are the same. We all need to know that we're loved. We all need to know where we're going in life. We all need to know that there's forgiveness. We all need to know peace deep on the inside. The greatest need is we all need to know God. I think the biggest offense for many people is that God will not accept them because they've lived a reasonable life. Yeah. We were all born in sin. The Bible says we've all sinned. Everyone. No one gets into heaven by living a good life. No one. But God in his mercy has provided a solution. And this is what the gospel is. I'm telling you this from 1 Corinthians 15 for the sake of time. I'm just going to quote it to you. Paul the Apostle, who was once a religious zealot, but who didn't know God, and his life was dramatically changed by an encounter with Jesus, said these words. My dear brothers, he said, I remind you of the gospel which I preach to you, the good news, by which, said, which you believed and by which also you are saved. And I'll tell you this as a first importance. Number one, Christ died for our sins. He didn't die to start a Christian religion. He didn't die to give you a kind of, you and me, a kind of spiritual self-help program. Christ died for our sins. Everyone here has sinned. We all need forgiveness. Christ died 
for our sins. If you're one of those rare people who thinks that you haven't sinned, maybe you're like one of those guys where one of my preacher friends was preaching. I was in the meeting when it happened. And he said, is there anyone here who's never sinned and thought word or deed? And a, a guy in his late 40s just trying to be difficult stuck his hand up. And so my preacher friend was very quick. He said, tell me, sir. He said, uh, so you say you've never sinned? He said, that's right. He said, can I ask you if you're proud of that? He said, oh, yes, very. He said, thank you, sir. It's your first sin. I'll see you down the front at the end. <laughs> well, the truth is we've all sinned. And we all need salvation. We all need forgiveness. This is the good news of the gospel, guys. Christ Jesus who is perfectly God, the Son of God and the Son of Man, perfectly God, perfectly man, came into our world, born of a virgin. He couldn't just have been born by natural means or the Adamic sin that's polluted all of our lives. Because I've had five kids. I haven't had to train any of them to do wrong. It's all happened quite naturally. The Bible says we're born in sin. That's why we need to be born again. (laughs) And so Christ had to come into this world miraculously. So he was born of a virgin. He came into this world. He showed us what God is like. Everywhere he went, he forgave sins. He healed the sick. He set people free from the bondages in their lives, from the the problems in their minds. He even raised the dead. But according to the plan of God and the prophets for 4,000 years had predicted it, Jesus predicted his own death and his own resurrection. He went to the cross. He died on the cross for your sins and mine. He was paying the penalty for the things we have all done wrong. Three days later, he rose from the dead. Now can I say, I recommitted my life to the Lord in my early 20s. In my early 20s. I want to say this to you. I had had amazing experiences of God, but I had also tolerated some sin in my life. And I needed to recommit my life to Jesus. My life was dramatically changed and impacted. I had been a history student. For me, giving my life fully over to the Lord. By that time of my life, I'd been in parts of the world where I had seen religious zealots had taken the heads of pastors because in the name of their religion, coming from a wealthy business family, and choosing to preach the gospel as my vocation because it's what God called me to do, I'm suddenly revisiting my call, thinking to myself, Jesus better be unique. He better be the only way. I'm not risking my life for something that just makes you happy. I don't care what someone's opinion is, what my opinion is. My opinion will die with me. Who cares what my opinion is about God? Frankly, who cares just what you believe? Nobody's faith saves them. It's who their faith is in that saves them. Jesus is the only one. Let me tell you, I've studied the history extensively of every world religion. Jesus is the only man in the history of the world who has said, I am the way. He's not a way. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. Christ's uniqueness is challenging is the only way we can come to God. Man, some people think that maybe he died, which all the secular historians of the day record, incidentally, not just the Bible, that he died. And then maybe he wasn't fully dead, but maybe they put him in the tomb and he was resuscitated. And then they let him out and the disciples came and they beat up the guards. 
And they rolled the stone away and they got his body out. And they hid it somewhere. And then they proclaimed this. <laughs> Let me tell you the secular history. Okay. So the Romans were experts at death. They created crucifixion. Them and the Greeks before them. The most horrific and painful death known to man. The Romans came and they stuck a spear into the side of Jesus. Blood and water flowed out showing that he died from a broken heart. He was taken down from the cross. They came, they were instructed to go and to check before the bodies were taken down so as not to offend the Jews because Passover was breaking out. And so because of it, they were taking the bodies down. So they went to the criminals either side and they broke their shins so they could no longer breathe and, and then die by asphyxiation. So they came to Jesus, but they found him dead already because he had given up his spirit. It was unusual. But they took his body down and they put him into the tomb. And then they, the stone was a, a, was a ton and a half stone that they rolled down onto on the front of that tomb. Then they sealed it with a governor's seal. The price of breaking a Roman governor's seal was to be crucified upside down. Your guts came into your mouth. Nobody broke the seal of a Roman governor. No one. On the day when the disciples came, when the women came to anoint Jesus' body for burial, they found that the stone was rolled away. They found actually that Jesus' body was no longer there. 500 witnesses at one time saw the risen Christ. You could touch his body. It was a real, living, resurrected body. Let me say to you, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Every single one of the early apostles who followed him was martyred. Everyone, except John, just as Jesus predicted. No one gives their life up like that for something that is not true. It may surprise you today, Christianity is the most persecuted religion on the face of the planet by hundreds of thousands every year. More martyrs have died for Christ in the last few years than in the whole history of the world. But our King is coming back. I haven't looked into the statistics of recent years, but around 20 years ago when I was a youth worker and I used to look more into these things and go into schools, even then, 84% of all end-time biblical prophecy had already been fulfilled. Much more has already been fulfilled in our day, and we are watching week by week biblical prophecy unfolding on our new screens. The king is coming back very quickly. I want to ask you, are you ready to meet him? You will meet him whether you believe in him or not. You will. But whether you'll be allowed into his presence for eternity to make it into heaven or not, that's your decision. That's your decision. There is still a heaven to gain and a hell to shun 
People don't like to talk about that today, but it's the reality. And I want to love you enough to tell you the truth. You can't keep ignoring it all your life. It won't go away. There's going to come a day when all of us will take our final breath. So, I want to ask you today, if you took your last breath right now, tonight, if that suddenly happened to you, and you can go into any graveyard and find the age of someone your age, if you were to take that, your last breath tonight, where would you end up? Will you make it to heaven? Here are the terms. Jesus said, whoever believes in the Son, whoever believes, and that word believe means to cling to, to adhere to, to trust, to rely on. It's a relationship. It's not just that you mentally assent that he's true, that he's real. But it's a relationship. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? If you believe in him, you will have eternal life. The Bible says, repent, turn away from sin, which is going life your way, to go God's way. Believe that Jesus died for you and rose again. And confess that Jesus is Lord. The Bible says if you do that, you will be saved. Uh, Sometimes say to put it this way to people, A, B, C. A, agree with God that you've sinned and you need forgiveness. And turn away from your sin to follow Jesus. B, believe that he's God's son. He died for your sins and rose again. And C, confess Jesus as Lord. The promise of God, Romans 10, 9 and 10, you'll be saved. You believe it, you confess it, you'll be saved. So what I'm going to do is somebody at one point in my life loved me enough to tell me the truth like I'm telling you and and to pray with me a prayer. I'm going to pray that prayer with you right now. And I invite you to pray the prayer with me right where you are. You do have to say it out of your mouth. You can't just say it quietly in your heart. You need to believe it and you need to say it. That's what the Bible says. So I don't want to do you a disservice. Jesus also said, if you confess me before people, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. So we do need to tell someone that we've given our life to Jesus. So here we are. What we're going to do is we're going to pray. If you've given your life to Jesus already, please pray the prayer with me to encourage those who've never prayed it before. Or maybe you need to pray it again and give their life back to the Lord. Okay, just to encourage them. Those who've never given your life to Jesus, just follow me through with the words. Repeat them after you. The important thing is you mean them. I'm just here to help you. But remember, you're talking to God. And so you need to mean it when you say it. And others who perhaps you prayed many years ago, but you've gone away from Jesus, you use the prayer to come back to him. Shall we just bow our head and close our eyes for a few moments? Try and forget about the people around you just for a few moments here. Take stock of your life. Think seriously about where your life is headed. Where will you be a hundred years from now? Where will you spend eternity? Do you know your sins are forgiven? Do you enjoy a personal relationship with Jesus? Think about it seriously. And now repeat these words after me. Let's say this to God. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you that you love me. That you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I do believe it. I believe in you. And I want you in my life. I'm sorry for my sins. I turn away from them to follow you. I ask you now to come into my heart and save me. Make me a new person. Deep on the inside. I boldly confess that Jesus is Lord and I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. Thank you for hearing me and answering my, my prayer. I'm now a child of God in Jesus' name. 
Amen. I'm going to ask us to keep our head bowed, our eyes closed.